0: Welcome to the Popecast, episode six. Ladies and gentlemen, we have our first bad pope. He was pope not once, not twice, but three different times. And he was only pope in the first place because dear old dad pulled some strings. The man who the Catholic Encyclopedia called a disgrace to the chair of Peter. It's Pope Benedict IX. Hey there, I'm Matt Sewell, and this is the podcast about popes for people who like history but aren't so crazy about dry, dusty history books. This podcast will be a periodic look into the lives of one of the 264 men who have held or are currently holding the office of the Vicar of Christ, the Bishop of Rome, the Pope of the Roman Catholic Church. Theophylact of Tusculum was born with a silver spoon in his mouth, having come from one of Rome's most powerful families in the early 11th century. The powerful Tusculani family across the ages furnished six popes, the last of which would be Theophylact. Popes John XI and twelve, as well as Pope Benedict VII, reigned in the 900s. Then from the year of Theophylact's birth in 1012 up to his own election, his two uncles, Benedict VIII and John XIX, held the chair of Peter, all from the same family. By that point, the papacy was considered, to the Tusculani, to be somewhat of a family heirloom. How nice is that? Though a couple had some administrative talent, hardly any of the six were pillars of virtue. So after John the 19th's death in 1032, Theophilac's father, the late pope's younger brother, worked a little nepotistic magic and got his young son placed on the throne of Peter. Taking the name of Benedict the IX, obviously after his uncle Benedict VIII and earlier ancestor Benedict VII, the new pope was somewhere between the ages of 20 and 25 making him one of the youngest popes in history before or since. It wasn't just his youth that made Benedict IX famous, or should we say infamous. See, Benedict wasn't just pope number 145. He was pope three different times before it was all said and done, so technically he was 145, 147, and 150 before the Romans booted him from the city for good. Benedict IX's first stint as pontiff was by far the longest. He was in office from 1032 to 1044 and seemed to only dabble in church affairs when he had to. Otherwise, he was living the life you'd expect from a 20-something playboy with a fat checkbook and little discipline. Sex, drugs, 11th century rock and roll, the whole bit. By 1036, the Romans were up to their eyeballs, fed up with the Tusculani family, as you might imagine. So Benedict fled from Rome and chilled with his friend Emperor Conrad II in Germany for a couple years. Conrad died in 1039, leading Benedict to venture back to Rome, where he continued his hedonistic lifestyle. The end of Benedict's first term came in 1044, as we mentioned, when a crowd once again drove him from the city and booted him from office. After Benedict was expelled in 1044, with the church considering him deposed as pope, his opponents selected a local bishop to take his place, the man who became Pope Sylvester III. The poor man was stuck between the rock and a hard case, shall we say, so he hardly stood a chance. Before spring was gone the following year, Benedict had returned with an army to retake his seat as rightful pope. Thus began his second term. Benedict, though being the fickle child that he was, quickly picked up where he left off. What happened next has become one of the most controversial and talked about instances in all of papal history. Benedict's godfather, a man named Gratian, was a priest of Rome and a well-known and universally beloved figure in the church at that time. Thankfully, for all the right reasons, I might add. The historian Reginald Poole said of him, By universal testimony, he was a man of unblemished character who was held by all in the highest regard. End quote. As for the role Gratian plays in all of this, Poole goes on, quote, When he was already past middle life, Gratian appears to have been so deeply impressed by that pope's unworthiness for his office That he took the daring step of buying him out of it. That's right. Whether Benedict demanded the payment for his abdication or whether Gratian just pulled a Futurama and said, Shut up and take my money, the fact remains clear. Gratian paid Benedict the medieval equivalent of $20 million to cease being Pope and let him reign in his degenerate godson's place. So, on its face, of course, the controversy of selling the papal office looks like simony that selling of a church office for your own personal gain, plain and simple. But the dire situation of the time should also be taken into consideration, as should Gratians' own reputation. At that point, it seemed that the whole church groaned for Benedict to just disappear. So even the hefty sum of Gratians, commonly thought to have been inherited or coming from his status as a member of a noble family, was still a pretty small price to pay, all things considered. Nevertheless, the church's law was clear— no matter how noble the means, a person can't just sell a church office, let alone its highest one. So despite Gratian, who took the name of Pope Gregory VI, being a man of great virtue and holiness, and despite St. Peter Damian, a personal friend of Gratian's, praising the decision, there was still no peace as a result. So not only did Sylvester III reemerge and try to reclaim the papal throne, but Benedict himself grew tired of the married life, uh, which was the reason for him leaving in the first place, apparently got bored and wanted to get married, and So he regretted his decision. He returned to Rome as well in 1046 to reassert himself a third time. Henry III, who was the Holy Roman Emperor at the time, convened the Council of Sutri to sort the whole thing out. Sylvester and Benedict were considered deposed, and it's commonly thought that Gregory VI, Benedict's godfather, and who everyone considered the true pope, remember, voluntarily resigned his post in order that the church could move on from such a debacle and finally grant some clarity and peace to the situation. So in their place, Henry appointed Bishop Swidger von Morschleben, a respected German bishop, to re- become the next pope, known to us now as Pope Clement II. Clement, by all accounts, was a solid pick, and nobody really cared that a secular ruler had intervened to install a new pope, considering laymen from ruling families had their pick over the prior century, and had made the church all but a laughingstock. The bad dream wasn't over, though. As fate would have it, Clement didn't make it long. He died just a few weeks after being consecrated in 1047, and left a vacuum as a result for Benedict to reappear for one last hurrah. Turned out that the Roman people were growing weary of hurrahs, though. He seized the Lateran Palace in Rome in November 1047, but by the following July, a German army had driven him from Rome once and for all. The following year, when Pope Damasus II was finally cooling everyone's jets, the Pope demanded that Benedict appear on simony charges to account for some of his bad behavior. Benedict naturally was a no-show, so Damasus did the only thing that was left to do, promptly excommunicated Benedict and sentenced him to live out his days at the Abbey of Grata Ferrata in Italy, where he would die just seven years later at the age of 43. So mercifully, our story finds its badly needed silver lining in Benedict's life outside of the papal spotlight. Solitude and contemplation can do a lot for a person, even one as rowdy as Benedict IX. Upon his death in 1056, the abbot of the monastery reported that Benedict had fully repented of his sins prior to death, did proper penance, and was welcomed back into full communion with the church before expiring. His legacy, however, is anything but pretty, nonetheless. His reputation has preceded him throughout the centuries, and he's now mostly known to people as one of the quote-unquote bad popes. As one fun fact, though, Benedict IX was... The last layman ever to be elected pope, for what that's worth. So Anyway, as one might have expected, Benedict wasn't much of a writer, thank the Lord. So we don't have any quotes this week, but instead, to wrap things up here, let's consider the benefits such a quote-unquote bad pope can bring to our understanding of the papacy. A book by the 14th century author Giovanni Boccaccio tells the story of two friends, one Jewish and the other Catholic, Giannotto, the Catholic in the story, has been trying to convert his Jewish friend Abraham for some time. And Abraham finally relents, saying, quote, "'Look here, Giannotto. You want me to become a Christian, and I am quite prepared to do so, so much so that I want first to go to Rome and see him who you call God's vicar on earth, to observe the ways and customs of him and his brother cardinals. And if they seem to me such that I can come to see that your faith is better than mine, I will do what I have said. But if not, I shall remain a Jew.'" Giannotto, seeing that his plan might backfire, given how badly many of the clergy, up to and including the Pope, acted at the time, thought, I've wasted my labor, which I thought I had employed so well in the belief that I had converted my friend Abraham. Now, if he goes to the court of Rome and sees the filthy and rascally life of the clergy, not only will he not turn from a Jew to a Christian, but if he had turned Christian, he would inevitably become a Jew again. So a pretty bleak picture of the papal court in the time of Boccaccio, to say the least. Giannotto was unable to convince his friend to stay, and sinks into despair as he watches Abraham leave. Finally, after a long trip from Paris to Rome and back again, Abraham returns. Asking what he thought of the clergy of Rome, Abraham replies, "'It seemed to me that God is very kind to them all, for if my observation is of any value, I saw there no sanctity, no devotion, no good works, or examples of life. But it seemed to me that lechery, avarice, gluttony, and worse were so much in grace.'" that I consider Rome a forge of devilish rather than divine labors. In my opinion, your shepherd endeavors with all haste to reduce the Christian religion to nothing and to thrust it out of the world. Ouch. Giannotto's greatest fears had come true, it seemed. But had it really, though? Abraham continued, Now, since I perceive that what they endeavor to achieve, which was the destruction of Christianity, does not occur, does not occur, but that your religion continuously increases and becomes brighter and more illustrious, I justly am of the opinion that the Holy Spirit is its support and foundation. Now, nothing shall prevent me from becoming a Christian. Let us go to a church, and there I will be baptized. To be sure, the church in reality has had very few legitimately bad eggs at Pope, but and many popes have had a little of the good and a little of the bad. Nepotism was especially rampant in certain centuries, for sure. But still, there are enough flawed men who have taken the helm of the bark of Peter, including Peter himself, who by all accounts seem doomed to run the great ship aground and make the church a mere figment of history. But alas, that hasn't been the case, has it? As our friend Abraham said, it's almost as though bad popes prove the divine origins of the church even further. And so in some ironic way, we can be thankful to the Lord for letting a man like Benedict IX into the chair of Peter, If only that we can see that even the worst men can't ruin the church, because as Jesus himself said, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So as always, thanks for listening. As we go, the success of this podcast will rely on two things, aside, of course, from the grace of God. First, to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, or wherever you're listening to this, and providing feedback on what you think. The more you rate, the more likely it's seen and listened to by others, and the better feedback I get, the better the podcast can become. And second, consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash That donation, even at a buck per episode, will get you some sweet Patreon-only content, early access to podcast episodes, and will allow me to continue devoting time to producing these great bios. That's patreon.com slash M-A-T-T-S-E-W-E-L-L, patreon.com slash Until next time.